Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. All right, we're back at it, Three Squares Live. Thank you so much for joining us on the 28th of October or on your favorite podcast platform, wherever you happen to be listening to us. Uh, don't forget, we're doing these live now, so you have the opportunity to participate and send in questions or your comments in the chat function. Look forward to the ongoing engagement. I'm Charlie Arnott with the Center for Food Integrity and Look East, working to keep food trustworthy, and my colleagues, Susan Schwally and Kevin Ryan. Susan? Hi, I'm Susan Schwally, food and beverage consumption at the NPD Group, where we transform our clients' businesses through deep consumer insights. And I'm Kevin Ryan of Malachite Strategy and Research, uh, helping CPG and retail companies do upfront innovation. Excellent. So we've got three sections to uh, Three Squares Live. We're going to talk a little bit about what's on the menu, something current, and then we've got a fantastic guest coming up. And then Kevin is back with What the Food? And he's going to give us another quiz. I thought I was going to be really slick today and have a really nice kind of diner bell, which you can now see for a sound effect for On the Menu. But for whatever reason, the microphone doesn't pick up that frequency. So just imagine, imagine the dinging and what's on the menu. So we'll kind of we'll kind of pretend here that we've just been able to do that. And uh, what's on the menu today is Kroger's acquisition of Albertsons and continued kind of restructuring of the food system and what that means. It's fascinating. Uh, I think it's just another illustration of what we're seeing in terms of uh, the ongoing change as people look for opportunities to compete. Kevin, this is kind of in your space. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think the big question right now is, is it going to happen or not happen? I mean, from, uh, you know, is the FTC going to put a stop to it or not? I mean, in my opinion, I think it will go through. Yeah. I think there's going to be some really interesting divestiture uh, conversations. I mean, when Albertsons bought Safeway, what was that, 2012, 2013, something like that, they proactively divested uh, to Hagen and Hagen went bankrupt and sold it back to Albertsons. And so I think the FTC is going to put some real scrutiny on which divestitures. And I'm actually really curious to see who buys. And I think it'll probably be Amazon, actually. And so I think that's really? going to lead to some, I think if they're smart, they're going to take some of those, uh, those uh, you know, stores in the Midwest and, and, yeah, and, and, and West Coast, and they're going to buy them. I mean, if, but I mean, I know tech right now is, you know, kind of pinching the pennies a little bit, but I do think that that would be the smart long-term move. And usually Amazon does make long, smart moves. So I think that's, that, fascinating. that's what I'm I hadn't thought for. about that. Yeah, that would be really interesting. Susan? You know, it's interesting. I, I agree, Kevin. There's a lot of pushback right now on can the deal happen? Should it happen from antitrust? Um, you know, and from the consumer's perspective, there's a ton of concern about uh, even greater price increases coming out of this. So, you know, a lot of folks are thinking, well, it's going to be less competition. Prices are going to go up. There's talk about, is it going to create food deserts? Um, You know, they're both in about 34 to 35 states. So there's going to be overlap. 
um, I don't, I don't know if that's where it's going to go. Like clearly they're doing this for scale and to be able to complete compete with Walmart. And part of that is effective appealing pricing. Um, but there's a lot of concern for the consumer around this deal. So, um, it probably will get a lot of scrutiny and have, uh, some conditions placed upon it. Yeah, I don't disagree. I think, you know, uh, Personally, I don't think there's going to be much impact on consumers. I understand the concern anytime there's additional concentration, but grocery is still, retail grocery is still so competitive and low margin. I just think we're going to continue to see people look for other opportunities to increase scale, reduce SGNA, uh, find everything they can do to continue to find other ways to increase profitability. But I think it will be interesting to see. I hadn't thought about Amazon, Kevin, but are there other regional players that could step in or does this trigger other regional players in terms of their conversation and discussion about additional mergers or acquisitions? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Because it's it's either the you know it, it's at either ends of the spectrum where people are going to be competitive. That mushy middle becomes even more 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 conflicted. Yeah, yeah I and, mean, mm -hmm. go ahead. Well, I was going to say on the other side of this is you know you could some people see it as well. It's going to drive independent grocers out the small guys. But on the other hand, does it potentially create more opportunity for them? Because people do want variety. Is it a greater opportunity for them to differentiate? And I mean, look how we get our groceries and shopping is rapidly changing. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. We didn't have all the air trader. Like what's the next hybrid thing besides the behemoths that are going to be battling this out? So I mean, look, we've been around long enough. We all know there's winners and losers in all of these things that happen, which means there's opportunity as well as, um, you know, some challenge spaces. Yeah, I'm I'm really interested to see, I mean, if the deal goes through, which I think it will, what Kroger is going to do, because they are just so innovative when it comes to, you know, their deal with Ocado, uh, their deal with uh, like uh, doing food trucks and all this kind of stuff. And then they have this scale being, will be the second biggest how that will really change the, the the market. I think it's going to be really interesting. I think they'll definitely give Walmart and Amazon a run for their money. Do you, yeah, I was just reading about those, uh, the Ocado powered uh, self, self checkout uh, grocery carts. Now Meyer in my neck of the woods, M-E-I-J-E-R Meyer, mm -hmm. you can do that right now, shop and scan on a mobile app. Um, it's not built inherent into the cart. Uh, but you can, you can do all your shopping scan while you shop and then just walk up to a kiosk at the end and walk out. So it's interesting that they've built it into the cart structure. Um, and to your point, I do think that's one thing that's interesting about them because I mean, let's be clear, the shopping experience at Walmart is not a good one, at least in my point of view. And, and Kroger will offer a very different perspective on a, a very large level. Right. Yeah, we've had this conversation before. I love self-checkout because it's it's a more expedient way to get in and out of the store, which is very appealing to me. So anything I could do to make that process more efficient, I'm all I mean, in. maybe, maybe it is, but you're in control, so you feel it's more expedient. True, true. Yeah. It's all could about control, control Charlie. Issues. It's all about control. <laughs> Not that we control anything, but no. it's, the, it's the ability to feel like we do. We like true. the illusion. We like yeah. the illusion. Yeah. All right, let's transition to our guest. So, Susan, you've been uh, oh, done yes. a great job here of scoring an outstanding guest. If you'd like to introduce Locke, oh, we'll I'm kick so this thing excited. off. excited. Yeah, Locke's going to join us here. Look, this is, I have the pleasure of introducing Locke Hildebrand, who is the Chief Insights Offer for Wisdom, um, which is an insights agency out of Springfield, Missouri. And full disclosure, Locke and I are friends as well as colleagues, and we do some things together, MPD and Wisdom together. Um, I'm going to let him talk a little bit more about what they do, but most simply, 
the magic that wisdom creates is they develop custom audiences for direct outreach based on behavior and location. Now, anybody who's listened to the show knows that I'm all about consumer behavior and a lack and his team do this in a very different way to help understand emerging things, generational things. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But Locke, let me get, let you have a word in edgewise. Say hello. And what else do you want our listeners to know about wisdom? Hello. Um, you know, I think the, the most important thing is, you know, we were born out of the food world. We come from a 40 year food agency background that then t- transitioned into a 15 year behavior around consumers and food background. And then when big data came onto the scene, we said, how can we merge those together? So for us, it's about, you know, figuring out how to combine big data and consumer behavior, because, you know, Susan, as we've always talked, I'm very much sort of a soft science advocate as alongside of big data, you know, so for me, being able to merge the two of those together has always been super exciting. Yeah. You know, one of the things that we had a sidebar conversation on was about Gen Z. And I know you've got a lot of thoughts and you've been watching this group carefully. And I'm just wondering to kick us off, if you could, you know, it's so easy to say, oh, Gen Z, they're just the next iteration of the millennial. Could you talk a little bit about what you find truly differentiating about them and and then like relate that to food and beverage? Sure. You know, I think one of the most interesting differentiators for millennial to Gen Z is millennials grew up with legacy brands and being taught the power and the the importance of a legacy brand. So the attitude has always been fitting those brands into their life in a sense where they were an extension of themselves. You know, it was a very branded identity. And Gen Z, having grown up with the full capabilities of the modern internet, they created their own celebrities, they created their own brands through social media. For them, it's always been around this idea that they look for brands that identify with parts of who they are, their moral code, their personal ethics, their personalities. So while millennials are very much sort of brand centric, Gen Z is brand centric in a sense that they only pick and choose ones that fit them personally. And it's, it's a slight nuance, but at the same time, it's sort of a bigger picture idea of looking at it like, you know, millennials have always rolled with the punches as everything's happened as they've grown up. Uh, you know, and they've always strived for authenticity with food. And Gen Z is sort of this like, why not attitude? So everything is very playful. The day part rules are broken for them. They're just kind of doing whatever they want with food. And, you know, brands are trying to catch up to it. Mm. What are so the, in- go ahead. Go, go ahead. Uh, yeah. So question that I have. So how are brands successfully connecting with Gen Z and, and who's doing it well? I guess kind of a follow-up on that. Is this a life stage or do you think this is kind of a, a, a you know, behavior and, and um, loyalty that, that we're going to see extend? I think it was Churchill who said, you know, if you're not liberal when you're young, you don't have a heart. And if you're not conservative when you're old, you don't have a brain. So, um, wow, wow. Fitting well, I, Churchill I was, in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sorry. Sorry. Goals. I, I'm the old guy. Um but, but, you know, is this life stage? Who, who's connecting with them? Who's doing it well? And then is this transient or is it something that's going to stick? You know, and I think that the, the thing that's scary about this is because Gen Z is evolving alongside of technology, having grown up with technology, is it's changing the food world for them, you know, drastically over time. I think what you have to look at as far as who's doing it well is you have to look at companies that are adopting that why not philosophy. Like, I think Taco Bell's a great example because they're just willing to wing it and innovate based off that off of that why not idea. They're like, hey, we're going to take a giant cheese it and we're going to call it a tostada because why not? 
you know, and it's sort of that mentality, which is scary for a lot of brands because it's like you're kind of innovating in the dark in some ways with them. Uh, you know, as far as a life stage goes, that's kind of hard to predict because Gen Z moves so quickly. You know, this is the the group that has cycled through, you know, since 2010, like 12 different aesthetic styles, you know, that their whole life was centered around and they just keep evolving it. And one of the things that I think has been really fascinating to look at and try to understand with them is, and this is going to be a bit of a in the weeds breakdown, is, you know, uh, millennials and the thing that everyone tried with millennial branding was about irony. Um, that doesn't work with Gen Z because they can smell branding a mile away. So Gen Z has sort of taken to being like, oh, cringy things are funny. So we're going to make things cringy because they're funny. But then if a brand makes something cringy, it's actually cringy. Mm. So it's a very like hard thing to kind of process for brands to get into that mindset because it evolves and changes so fast. Right. So Kevin, right. as an innovator, I mean, I mean, this is this is really interesting, but it's also got to be terrifying if you're trying to figure it out. <laughs> right. I mean, what do you do? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. And, yeah. It's a good question. I, I think one of the scary parts about that is, you know, if we look at what we learned and the lessons learned from millennial branding is that brands went so heavy into millennials that they alienated every other generation. You know, some brands went so far in that by the time millennials were no longer a core consumer, it was like, who are we as a brand identity anymore? And I think that's the scary part is that idea of trying to jump too far into Gen Z and then losing everyone else in the process simply because the language is so different and trying to adopt Gen Z slang into branding is kind of very alienating for people who aren't, you know, technically like up with the Joneses on what it is. I feel old just saying that. You know, so <laughs> well, speaking of that lock, okay, so I'll be I'll be controversial and I'll say, are is Gen Z the the new Gen X? And I say that because I'm Gen X and we were forgotten about. And mm -hmm. Gen Z is the third largest cohort, depending on I guess how you measure it, but the, it's usually considered third largest behind boomers and millennials. So, you know, while they're currently in that sweet spot of like, you know, the 18 to 24, or there will be in the 18 to 24 side where everyone always seems to want to go, they're still the third largest. So my question is, is, like, do you think that Gen Z will continue to be the one that people will go to target or will they become the Gen X and like the lost generation? So it's interesting that you bring that up because this is one of my favorite topics. Um, there's a term that some Gen Zers have self-identified with called the new nobodies. Mm -hmm. And the idea behind it is that they grew up in a time when they were too young to be sold millennia nostalgia to understand it but they were too old for all the stuff that was being marketed for kids. And that's why they became so sort of like self uh, involved with con content creation and with, you know, sort of like that whole memes as their identity is because they had to create a generational identity for themselves because they didn't feel like it was made for them. And, you know, as you're, as we're starting to look at trends, you know, across food and across beverage and starting to think about it, there is a high chance that because Gen Z has sort of made themselves so almost awkward to market to, that we're going to skip right over them and go to sort of like the child gatekeeper, millennial parent, and their mm -hmm. Gen Alpha children. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I think the X's and the Z's, seeing that we are the least, you know, remembered of the alphabet, we need to get together. I think that's what it is. We should, you're going to have to have should. a vowel in there somewhere, though. I mean, otherwise, you're going to play Scrabble and it's not going to work. Alpha. Okay, well, that'll be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, you alpha. know, it's yeah. it's also interesting because if you look at how both were raised, you know, millennials were raised in sort of that idea of like, here's the world, it's your oyster, go, go for right. it. Right. By boomers and Gen Zers were raised by Gen X and it was sort of like, here's the world and here's how you need to fit into it. Mm -hmm. So there's a much more grounded sense of reality at a younger age that the world's not their oyster. They just have to find a way to adapt and move into it. Yeah. So like this sounds like a minefield to me, what you're describing yeah. in terms of marketing. How in the world do you even approach it? I mean, I mean, everything you've described makes me incredibly anxious and uncomfortable. Yeah. And, and I think that's where a lot of brands are, is that there's a level of uncomfortability in how to try to talk to Gen Z because you either go all in and you alienate people or they make fun of you because you're trying to, you know, do the hello, fellow kids sort of mentality. Mm. Um, or you ignore them and stick to, you know, like the traditional like Gen X, baby boomer and millennial sort of demographics. So it, it, it's a really hard thing, I think, for brands to navigate. And, you know, that's why, you know, if you look at how brands have attempted to with food, you know, they're, they're putting out like influencer menus as LTOs rather than doing big pushes for food innovation. Um, you know, and then you see all of the Gen Z celebrities starting to get in the food game, like Mr. Beast, you know, has mm -hmm. the, the ghost restaurants and now he has a candy bar. And so it's going to be interesting to see what happens is all of these young entrepreneurial Gen Z influencers that have a lot of money and are looking at what they want to do with the rest of their lives um, are being pitted against traditional restaurant spaces and traditional grocers. It's mm. interesting. I spent, I spent an evening trying to track down a Mr. Beast feast candy bar because my Gen Z 11-year-old wanted it and Walmart supposedly carries it. Now the tags were on the shelf for the facings, but they were completely empty. So they either weren't there or they were sold out. Um, I also spent an evening on vacation ordering Mr. Beast burgers because we were in a city and we could do it. And all of the order was incorrect, but my child was so happy to try the Mr. Beast burger and loved it because this is, you know, they don't watch Saturday morning cartoons. They watch YouTube and they're on social media. So I think that's really interesting, Locke, that these folks are going to be looking for different ways to parlay their influence. And food is like, I think, just a natural step for them. You know, and social media, I think, is such an important thing for them because that's the world they grew up on. Mm -hmm. You know, it's no longer an opt-in for them. You know, like millennials were kind of like the digital, the, the digital nomads that jumped from place to place to place to place as it evolved. These guys have grown up with platforms set in, you know, since they were, you know, toddlers. And it's changed how they gain access to food, how they think about food ingredients, you know, like, look at a millennial um, versus a Gen Zer as far as social media and food influences. The millennials looking at Instagram, looking at beautiful food. And the Gen Zer is like, I need to figure out how to make a snack in three minutes. I'm going to go to TikTok. I don't care what it looks like. I just need it to fulfill a purpose. Yeah. What brands do you think are doing well when it comes to talking to Gen Z? I mean, beyond food and beverage, if, it, if that's necessary, like which ones do you think kind of get Gen Z or is there? I, 
I think it's it's sort of like a, a touch and go scenario um, yeah. because they're sort of like it feels like everything that's done for Gen Z is done kind of like and I hate to use this word because I feel so old um, like drop culture where it's like, oh, we're gonna have a drop. And if you're unfamiliar with the term drop, it's basically like an LTO. You know, so we're gonna do a drop of a collaboration between a high-end brand and a low-end brand, or, you know, like a lot of brands right now, I think are stepping either into food that aren't food involved, um, or are stepping out of food that are food involved and launching merchandise. And that is technically their, their outreach is they're just kind of doing weird zany things. Like I think, uh, Hidden Valley does some interesting stuff. They do some really weird off-ball. I mean, they, they, they did like the ranch fountain, you know, yes. just so you could get like a yeah. cheese fondue yeah. fountain, but ranch, yeah. you know, and then there's always the weird stuff like KFC doing, you know, chicken scented candles. Um, I think the more interesting ones right now is brands that are being really willing to let uh, kind of like Gen Z take control of the reins of their brand identities. I think that's been one of the most successful things with like Pepsi at one point doing sort of like the print your own t-shirts um, based on, you know, uploading images and just sort of like letting them play with the brand, which a lot of brands were so nervous to do with millennials. But I think that that's one of the things that it's taking right now is to kind of like tread the fine line of how do you talk to and play with them and engage them, but not make them feel like they're being either talked down to or you're trying to fit into their club too much, right. you know? And I think so that it's that's giving them control. Yeah. And that's real scary. Mm -hmm. Is that yeah. get leading to profit though? I mean, like when Oreo dropped the Supreme connection, like you said, you know, they did the work with Supreme. I look at that and I said, that's really cool. And I like that. Right. But at the end of the day is growth and profit increasing, or is it really just a long-term bet for the future that they're going to have Oreo fans from this generation? Mm -hmm. I think it's it's almost right now looking at a hey remember us look who yeah. we can work with you know and that's that's why this is all so tricky and why I think Gen Z is going to be such a, a hard market to really corral um, really honestly until um, I think until you know they're in their thirties and they settle down and you know they're having to come up with solutions for them and their families rather than them just creating a solution for themselves because I think mm -hmm. that whole time period is just kind of going to be a black hole of let's create something to get it out there so that they remember that we're here. Mm -hmm. So if you'd like, you've got a question for Locke, we've got about uh, two minutes here left with him. So if you'd like to submit a question or a comment, now is the time. Uh, you'll never get free consultation again. So drop your question in if you're listening uh, on live. And if you're listening to us on the, in the podcast, remember to join us live next time uh, because that way you'll actually get to submit your question. It's hard for me to talk because my mouth is still watering from the ranch fountain. The concept <laughs> of a ranch fountain is just really, really appealing. Uh, maybe that's not, not the Kentucky fried chicken scented. <laughs> well, candy? I think the combination, I mean, if you had the ranch fountain and you could dip the Kentucky fried chicken into the ranch fountain, now that would be Nirvana. Sensory so, overload. I, 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 I got a question here for you. Um, so it sounds like there's a lot of experimentation, right? A lot, of, a lot of trial and error. How forgiving if 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 you if you if you stumble, if you stub your toe here with Gen Z, are they willing to give you the benefit of the doubt and say, "Hey, thanks for trying. Try again." I think as long as it's not trying to like tap into them on a language side, um, and and by that really what I mean is. Like right now, a great example is, you know, the term slay is now being used for Christmas instead of S-L-A-Y is S-L-E-I-G-H. Um, I've seen probably 30 emails in two days that are already using it. 
And that's one of those like, ooh, don't use our words this way. You know, like mm. it's just, mm. so like, I think as long as it's a product with good intention, it's not going to be a mishap. It may not be as successful, but like it's, it's really with them. It's like, don't try to act like us, try to participate with us. Mm. So Taco Bell's breakfast apology. Uh, how would you rate that? Have you seen that? With Pete yeah. Davidson? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen mixed um, simply because there were a lot of people, like especially on Reddit um, and other places that were like, I hate a two minute video of an ad of him eating in slow motion. Um, so it was like sort of really off putting. Uh, but then, you know, it's another one of those things where it's that thin line of it's a celebrity that they know, but at the same time, it's not one that they helped foster into existence. So it's kind of like 50-50 and people think that it more swings towards younger millennials than Gen Z. Yeah, yeah. This is fascinating. I We could we could continue the conversation for a long time. This is, uh, thanks for sharing your wisdom. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A little brand drop there. So yeah, this yeah. was terrific. So thanks and we'll be sure to catch up with you again. It's always a pleasure and uh, enjoy your next visit to Lambert's and be careful wear a face <laughs> mask if you don't get hit with a throat roll. So thank you, Locke. Thanks, Locke. Thank you. Yep. Appreciate it. All right. For those of you who are regulars, you know, it's now time for What the Food with our benevolent food scientist and resident child cookbook author and uh, expert on all <laughs> things food. Uh, so Kevin hit us. Our with, dimpled we, darling. That's right. Oh, I like that one. We haven't used there that you one go. before. There yeah. you go. And, and you, you, you said it's going to be a quiz again. People like the quiz, but you oh, also yeah. promised no math. They because, like no it math. when you pit Charlie and I against each other. Yeah, yeah no it's, math. It's exactly. The reason that I became, no went into communications is because I didn't have to take math. So. Right. Well, I thought this seemed very timely. I thought uh, I was thinking about Halloween. And I was thinking yep. Halloween is one of those holidays that doesn't have a food associated with it. Like Thanksgiving has foods, you know, it's like the green bean casserole. Candy. Well, yeah. What about candy? Exactly. Corn? Candy. And so I thought, candy okay, corn. what could we do with candy? But before I did that, I thought, oh, a little quick history lesson. Do you know that the reason that we trick or treat is because there was an old Celtic tradition of, it was called Samhain which was like the belief, you know, you know, the whole belief about Halloween that on that night is the closest we get to like the, the, the other side that there's like this, oh, that's yeah. when mm-hmm. the ghost would, yeah. well, they used to actually make these things called soul cakes. They're like cookies with dried fruit in them. And you would find, uh, you would give them to poor people. And with the promise that they would pray for your ancestors on that night. And then pretty soon what would happen is people would actually come to your door and ask for these and promised to to pray so what's interesting is that later turned into giving candy away so i always thought that that was interesting but i thought a really cool quiz would be i give you the the origin story really quick one sentence origin story of the candy you tell me what candy it is oh yes okay all right okay Okay. so there's some hard i've got 10 of them that i'm not going to get through them all so i thought maybe i'm gonna start with some easy ones or easier ones okay Okay. all right warm us up okay this candy was given its name in 1923 after the company launched a naming contest. And it was a popular word at the time for that sportscasters used for meaning a clumsy person. A clumsy I was going to say Milky Way, but that's no, right. no. Someone's clumsy. clumsy. They drop something. Oh, I'm a Butterfingers. Butterfinger. Butterfinger. Got it. Got it. Okay. All right. This candy was first introduced in England in 1959, and it was originally called Opal Fruits. Just a horrible name. Opal, Opal Fruits. Fruits? Uh, Opal Fruits. Oh. So it's a fruit-flavored Some, candy. Something berry. Something Gummy bears? 
gummy something oh. berry is it something berry not not berry no it has fruit in it juicy it's fruit juicy fruit there shouldn't no. be fruit in candy okay I'll, I'll time's up starburst starburst oh, that doesn't really? have fruit in it it was called it's opal fruits opal fruits yes yeah, starburst. that's right. horrible yeah. this candy that should be fired well maybe they have been uh this candy is named supposedly there's a couple of origins but this can chocolate candy is named candy. after the sound the depositing machine makes when forming the candy. Uh, drop, drop, drop. Uh, clunk. Dips, <laughs> drop, clunk, Getting there. chunk. Close. Yes. What, would, no, yes. what did you say, Susan? Kiss. Yes. Kiss. Yes. Hershey's Kisses. Really? Reportedly named after the makes sound it, it, it goes... makes when it comes up. Yep. Yes. All right, ah. Charlie, we're tied. All right. I did not okay. know that. That's fascinating. All right. Did I? Okay. Invented in 1932, this candy originally consisted of three tiny bars, vanilla, chocolate, and strawberry, but wartime rationing eliminated all but the chocolate one. Oh. Three tiny bars. Twix? Is it Twix? No, it can't no. be Twix. It's not all Tootsie roll. Uh, Three bars. Three, oh, three look, bars. Uh, three three musketeers. Three musketeers. Oh. It used to. It was called three musketeers because it was chocolate, strawberry, and vanilla. And oh, that makes so much more sense now. I was thinking about Neapolitan or something. Yeah, yeah, the three musketeers. Yeah. Okay, invented Watch in nineteen Brooklyn. invented in nineteen seventy four in Britain. This candy is named after an ancient lawn bowling game because the candy is said to resemble the game's pieces. Something pins, twiddly Close, yes. pins, sticks. Uh, pins? Heat. This is a tough one. No. Oh, it feels English. Re resembles the pins. Resembles the For lawn bowling? For lawn bowling. It's an old, long, I'm mean, really old lawn bowling game. Hmm. Tick, tick, tick. Okay, Skittles. Skittles. That's, a, actually, that's round. That's a, that's lawn bowling game. I think it either it's named for the pin, which apparently it is, but I to me it looks like a ball. I agree. Yeah, it, it does like, like a bocce ball. ball. More like yes. like yeah. I think like if it was bocce, if it was yeah. have gotten that one. All right, yeah. time for I one or two that, more. That, yeah, that, that was that, very that, confusing. No, that was yeah. all right. Yeah. Named after a 17th century literary club, headed up by a man named Christopher Catling. Heath. No, Christopher that's, Catling. That's, that's, Catling. Kit Kat. Kit, Kit Kat. Kat. Yeah, it was called go. the okay. Kit Kat Club. Wait. It's called the Kit Kat Club. How it was did we a get literary to club. chocolate covered wafers? Was this their well, shtick? This is what they ate. They met in the back of a pastry shop. Oh. Oh. Isn't, isn't yeah. that very clever? Right, All right. Last that, one. I could see that evolving from a pastry shop. I know. Here we go. Right, Last right. one. This Focus. candy was originally called chicken feed. Uh, chick, uh, what's that? Chick, Chicklets? Chick pop. Chick, no, chick pop. Uh, nope. I'm I'm off the wrong one. Chicken it's feed. really old. It's Chicken pretty old, feed. and it's usually the most derided candy. Sorry, circus candy. peanuts. Close. Oh, uh, candy candy corn. Candy, candy corn because it oh, looks like chicken feet. I love yes, candy it was corn. Originally called chicken I do too. Feet. But but it's it, it's one of those divisive candies. Either people love it, it or hate it. There's Absolutely nobody on the is. fence with candy. Really? Corn. That's I thought true. everybody liked it. Oh no, no. the there's pumpkins no, no, no. are better. The Lewis Black has a famous thing where he just derided that there's no candy corn. Candy corn. No new candy corn has been made since like 1940. That's kind of like fruitcakes, right? <laughs> they just keep they just keep circulating. I did exactly. not realize some they poor were unsuspecting defensive. person. You give them the fruitcake that you had six years ago, and exactly. it's still still circulating. Oh, exactly. Like candy corn. What was the final score? I don't even know. Did you guys keep track? I'm I pretty was sure I won. No, I think... no, no. We'll go back. I, I, I the kisses, last, we were tied before Kit the last Kat. one. 
Yeah, Do you need a tiebreaker? I no, no, that was the tiebreaker. That oh, was the okay. tiebreaker. Candy corn okay. was the tiebreaker. Yeah. Oh, so wait, we're tied? No, 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 no. I won by one. <laughs> How did? You, what were the three you got? I got three musketeers. I got the uh, candy corn, and then there was one before that, the very first one. Butterfinger. Yeah. I only Butterfinger. had two. Yeah, I got, I got three. You, yeah, got, you got kisses, three. and Kit-Kat? you got uh, Kit Kat. Yeah. I only get yeah. Hershey brands. That was the problem. Three to two. That's <laughs> it. That's it. Until next time. Yeah, Dang we went it. back until after Halloween, but that's okay. I don't that's think right. I won the diner thing either. I'm very competitive. This is a problem. <laughs> well, we'll do it again next. We'll do it again next month. Hey, and next month, we're going to be a little bit earlier in the month because Thanksgiving is coming. And I'm thankful to be able to work with both of you and thankful to everybody for listening to Three Squares. Yes. Uh, Lisa Keith will be with us on November 18th at 12 o'clock noon Central Time. Uh, Lisa is the executive editor, I think, of Meeting Place and Altmeet as well. And we're going to be talking about what's gone on with Altmeet because uh, lots of different opinions about what's taken place with Altmeet. Obviously, lots of interest in high initial sampling kind of dropped off. Tremendous investments, some rationalization taking place. Is there a future? Is there not a future? What's going to happen with Altmeet going forward? So join us for that on the 18th. We want to thank Locke Hildebrand again from Wisdom for joining us and bringing us some wisdom today. That was very exciting and encourage you to participate. Uh, you can drop us a line if you'd like at three squares mail at gmail.com, the numeral three squares mail at uh, gmail.com or tune in on the 18th of November at noon. And once again, we'll see you next time on three squares. Susan, Kevin, thanks guys. Have a great yep. weekend. Have a good weekend. Thank Thank you. Happy Halloween. Bye-bye. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com 